0: During the war, two major organizations emerged to oppose governmental repressive practices toward immigrants, radicals, and conscientious objectors. Women proved crucial to both the Civil Liberties Bureau, known by the acronym CLB, which eventually became the long standing premier civil rights agency in the United States, the American Civil Liberties Union, and the Bureau of legal advice. Roger Baldwin, a conscientious objector who would be imprisoned for his stance, was a dominant force in the CLB. But Crystal Eastman was also a significant leader in the organization in its early days. Although she was a lawyer, Eastman did not participate in any CLB litigation, but instead contributed to the organization's publicity campaign a crucial part of its agenda the bureau of legal advice known by its acronym bla is less well known than the clb in part because it did not become a permanent organization but also according to its historian francis early because the agency was dominated by women especially feminist socialist pacifists francis witherspoon and Tracy Migat, who were also life partners. Both women had been active in the New York branch of the WPP, and that agency had helped form the BLA. Although men worked for the agency and its litigating attorneys were male, women formed the mainstay of the organization. The agency assisted some women particularly working-class immigrants whose sons or husbands had been drafted, leaving them with no means of support. For the most part, however, the Bureau focused on free speech cases, usually concerning labor radicals, and on serving conscientious objectors, known by the acronym COs, in the New York area. The federal government exempted men who were congregates of established pacifist religions, such as the Society of Friends, though local draft boards sometimes ignored these regulations. Men who claimed CO status for moral or political grounds were still subject to the draft, and it was these men that the BLA primarily assisted. The BLA was rarely successful in its efforts to get such men exempted from the draft, but it carried through by agitating for humane prison treatment for COs. Here, too, women were central, serving as informal prison inspectors, often visiting men who were their husbands or partners, and reporting back to the BLA. Their experiences highlight the centrality of gender in defining wartime roles. Imprisoned conscientious objectors were constantly subject to jeering attacks on their masculinity, reinforcing the way in which wartime rhetoric conflated military service with manliness. Alice Navard, who visited Fort Riley in Kansas, reported that the prisoners were denounced as cowards unmanly good for nothings at the same time military officials viewed these women visitors despite their care in choosing respectable lodging as of dubious morality a number of women reported attempted sexual assaults or other threats by officers as francis early sums it up women who shared the views of such men faced gender ridicule, and also became potential bad women and outcasts who could not depend upon the patriarchal, militaristic code of chivalry to protect them. These pacifists, while important to the history of civil liberties and left-wing radical movements in the United States, were exceptional. So, too, with a handful of women who were indicted under the Espionage and Sedition Acts, but they are significant because they also sought to break down barriers to their political voice, and did so at a time when dissent was dangerous. The vast majority of people arrested and brought to trial on federal charges under the Espionage or Sedition Acts